Well, there is a secret about the light show. Uh, we could call it an, an Easter egg, if you will, on, on the last day of the year, which happens to be this day. The light show goes on through midnight. Normally it shuts down at around 10.30 or 11 p.m. But on this night it goes past midnight, and that's, that's announced. That's something that people probably know about. But the secret is about... Two minutes before midnight, the show shifts over to a version of Auld Lang Syne by the U.S. Naval Band. And then about 10 seconds before midnight, a countdown starts that syncs up exactly with, with the, the time and uh, the time of the ball dropping. And, and it, it, uh, it's all synced up beautifully, perfectly. It all kind of comes together. Every year, we also have one person who attends it, and that's me. <laughs> sort of, sort of. Um, I kind of attend uh, via remote, um, but uh, given all the work that I put into preparing for that moment, I, I, I find myself staying up later than I usually would have. I recently heard a statistic, and I was surprised by this. Only 21% of Americans go to bed before midnight on New Year's Eve. Only 21%. And I have my, myself and my wife for the past couple of years happened to be in that number. But my curiosity has kept me awake as I lie in bed. Will anyone show up for this little Easter egg that I've put all this time into? Uh, will the power be on? We, we schedule all the power on timers. Will the power actually turn on? At two minutes before midnight, will the sequence start? At exactly 11.59.50, will the countdown go on? And will some maybe lonely or, or poor wandering soul find themselves driving past Christ Church at midnight or close to midnight? Maybe they were kicked out of a New Year's Eve party for being a little bit too rowdy and stop by and actually see this little Easter egg that I've planted? Well, the answer to that last question is no. But the answer to everything else is yes. Everything has kind of, for the most part, worked out. It's all come together. Everything down to the second. Well, I have no plans of tuning in tonight to see if it's all worked. I've done that enough years. Hopefully I can go to bed and not worry about it. Uh, but much of the world will be watching tonight as the seconds tick down to mark the start of the new year. And it makes sense, doesn't it? Most of us feel short on time, or it's hard to disregard the passing of time, especially the more we experience it. The more the time goes by, the more that it seems to fly. And time marches, it reminds us that time marches relentlessly, leaving moments that we treasure with maybe our kids or our friends frozen only as memories. And for those of us who are aging and, and struggle with memories, we also realize that memories aren't something that, that, are, that go unaffected by time either. Memories don't go unaffected by time either. As time marches... Change happens. And as change happens, we lose things. 
And losing things is painful. Losing things at least can be, it can be painful. For me, this idea is perhaps nowhere better expressed in a classic poem from the classic poet John Keats called Ode on a Grecian Urn. Ode on a Grecian Urn. And Keats's poem is about a, an ancient Greek clay vase. That These clay vases uh, in ancient Greece were painted with, with um, scenes, uh, scenes of warriors fixed in battle with one another. Or, or lovers in an embrace. All sorts of scenes, even scenes from sporting events. I think we have a picture of one. Keats reflects on this Grecian urn, or on many Grecian urns, or on an imagined one, I'm not sure, and waxes eloquently about these moments that were frozen in time, uh, what actually happened in and around, in and around the... the the, the scenes and the circumstances of the artists who, who, put them, who put them together. Keats also has an Easter egg in his long poem. It's an Easter egg that only the careful ear will catch. Keats writes his poem in an iambic meter. That's uh, the use of, 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 of stresses on syllables and de-stresses on syllables in an up-down, up-down, up-down pattern. It's a great kind of, some of the, the, the rhythm and the poetry of this, of this classic poem. But there is one point that he breaks the pattern to highlight the central theme and, an, and the angst of the human experience. There's one point where he puts two words together that are both stressed. And that's this. Slow time. Slow time. As Keats reflects on some of the imagery, some of the amazing events on this beautiful vase, he, he's transfixed by the artist's attempt to freeze a moment and to live in that moment, to live in that moment forever. Is there an area of your life that you wish you could slow time in? Maybe you're a parent with a toddler who is treasuring these moments but worried that these teens and these, these toddlers in a blink of an eye are going to turn into teens and then, and then young adults. Or perhaps you are a retiree that would just love to go back in time and, and soak in one of the old times, which in hindsight also seemed to be one of the best times that you just didn't know you were in at the time. Or perhaps you are a too busy worker wishing that you could just steal back some time and spend more time in the more meaningful moments of your life. Given the brevity of life and the constant reminders that, that time marches on without a care in the world, how can we fully enjoy the time given to us without, without succumbing to cynicism, without succumbing to the pain of its passing? armed with with every reason to be cynical about life and its unrelenting move is there is there a way that we can rise above the pessimism and so that our hearts are not overwhelmed by the things in our lives that we cannot keep 
Well, that just so happened to be a question that some of the ancient Hebrews were asking themselves uh, centuries and centuries ago, during the time when the, the Psalms were being collected and, and put into collections and put into books. And, and many scholars believe that this was happening during the exile, when the, when the Israelite people were sent into exile into, into Babylon. They started collecting these Psalms, Psalms from kings like King David, Psalms from priests, Psalms from anonymous figures, a psalm from another figure that we'll see in a moment. And perhaps when they, were, when they found themselves in, in exile, they were looking for some encouragement since they were being separated from their homeland. And perhaps the pain of being away from their homeland and the fear of never seeing it again was particularly acute when one person put Psalm 90, that's Psalm 90, the only a psalm that is attributed to Moses in its place. This is how that psalm begins. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the whole world from everlasting to everlasting, you, you are God. What a beautiful way to open this psalm, especially encouraging for the people that, were, that may have been reading this during the exile. This reminds us not so much that the, that the prom, about the promised land um, as being their home or Mount Zion, which was Jerusalem being their home, but it reminds them more about the God who existed before the mountains, before all the places that they considered home. <laughs> Seeing Moses' name at the top of this psalm maybe reminded some of them of the time when Moses took the Israelite people out into the wilderness, out into the desert, where they didn't have homes, they just slept in tents. The closest thing that they had to a home was the God who traveled with them during that time. They probably invoked something like that. And maybe, maybe there was a time in your life where you experienced a feeling similar or akin to homelessness. Maybe there are some of you here who actually have experienced the feeling of the, the literal feeling of homelessness as you've laid your head in the back seat of your car trying to figure out how to make ends meet in a difficult season of your life. Or perhaps there are some of you here who have experienced more of a metaphorical feeling of homelessness during a particular season in your life where you were transitioning Maybe it's when you first went off to college and you left the safety net of being with your parents, being at what you once considered home. Or maybe, maybe it was a move to a different part of the country where it was hard to initially find friends and build community. Or perhaps it was the loss of someone, someone in your family, someone who made your house, the place that you lived, feel like home. The psalmist's words, they bring comfort to us. Who have experienced those things. Those familiar with the, the settings and, and the people knew that God was God was before those settings. God was before those places. God is more than the mountains. He is before the mountains. He will outlast the mountains. Is there any better home than him? Before we jump on that question with a resounding no. What we're going to read from the psalm takes 
a surprising and somewhat dark twist. You turn people back to dust, the psalmist continues, saying, Return to dust, you mortals. A thousand years in your sight are like are like a day that has just gone by, or like, like a watch in the night. You, you sweep people away in, in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. In the morning it springs up new, but by evening it is dry and withered. The Lord is from everlasting to everlasting. He is a sure dwelling. A thousand days go by for him, and it's like it's like one day. Not only is he superior to the mountains, the Lord is he is greater than the life that he creates and orders. We, on the other hand, are like grass that springs up in the morning and withers by the night. Did you notice the tone of Almost accusation that we that we feel in, from the psalmist in this. You turn people back to dust, yet you sweep people away in the sleep of death. One of the most amazing things for people who have never had any exposure to the psalms, uh, one of the most amazing things that they discover is that the psalms can be really raw. And they can be really honest. And they can be really honest with their feelings towards God. And the Psalms, as we read them and as we dig into them, they, they can invite us to do the same and to be the same. Now, I want to qualify that. Some people take it to the extent of, hey, you can be disrespectful to God. And that's not at all what the psalmists are doing. They're being honest about their conditions, about the situation that they're in, about about the situation that they're in, about the difficulties that they are experiencing. And we start to get a sense of the psalmist's emotion in these words. But these words are only going to get a little bit more intense. Here's how the psalmist continues. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All, all our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. Our days come to 70 years or 80 if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Have you ever read the beginning of a book and then once you've come to the end have had to reread the beginning in an entirely different light? That is maybe a little bit of what's going on here. You can feel the pain of the psalmist. The Lord is king. The Lord is sovereign. He's before time and after. But in a moment of raw expression, it's, it's hard not to imagine if, his, if the psalmist's readers were wondering is that a good thing? Is that a good thing? Consumed by your anger, he says. Terrified by your indignation, he says. You have set our iniquities before you. The best of our days are trouble and sorrow. 
The truth is, people feel this way about God. And the truth is, people feel like God feels this way about them. And maybe you have experienced that at one time in your life or another. Pastorally and personally, I have long felt that there is a there is a sacred hospitality in in creating space for people to vent, to let their emotions come out. And I have been blessed by people who have created space for me to just be honest and real. And that is often an ugly thing. And when I vent, I don't know about you, but but when I vent, there's something that often there's several things that often happen. Sometimes I will exaggerate the grievance against me. Sometimes I will levy accusations that are bent and warped. Most of the time I make myself look better than I really am in this situation too. I love how this psalm creates validates that. It doesn't say that that's where we should stay, but it recognizes that that's sometimes where we are. And for the people who have come alongside of me without judgment, saying, you need to think better, you need to do this, well, that's not the right way to think about things. People who have just come alongside and listened without judgment and created space for me, that has been a gift to me. And I believe that that could be a gift to other people. And that can be a gift to other people too. I don't want to dismiss the psalmist's genuine difficulties by saying that. Also, I think that as we see this psalm play out, this moment of deep grief uh, is captured in bigger-than-life expressions. I'll put it that way. It's captured in bigger-than-life expressions. But what is the psalmist getting at in particular? And how how does this all come together with the brevity of time? A few weeks ago in in one of my messages, I talked about the word of, the two-letter word of, and how that's, when we read that in our English Bibles, that's often a filler word. It doesn't really tell us much, and we often have to do a little bit more digging to see the meaning behind that. Well, there's a word in this text that's the opposite of a filler word. It's a very important word. It's a connecting word, and that word is for. That word is for. One of my teachers used to say, if you see a four in your English Bibles, then you should ask, what is it there for? Very memorable. It'll stick with you too. There is a four there. Near the end of the psalmist's vent, he says, the best of a man's days are but trouble and sorrow. And then we see our four. For they quickly pass and we fly away. It's not that every day really is trouble and sorrow. There's some exaggeration going on in the poetry here. It's that given the brevity of life, even the good days, knowing that they are passing, fleeting moments can feel like trouble and sorrow. That's because you can't hold them. They continue to march onward. We can't keep the best days. Knowing that makes even the best days sometimes painful. It's like that sunset that we see that we're so in awe of that we have to stop our cars and get out and, and just take it in. And by the time we get out and take it in, it's gone. 
It's like the mountain that we climb or, or the race that we win, the thrill of that moment. And once we climb to the top of the mountain, once we finish the race, we're already thinking about the next one, aren't we? Or it's, it's like recognition that we receive from someone. We respect. It boosts our day. But the next day we enter into whatever relationships and situations we're in with an empty vessel looking for more recognition, looking for something else. The shortness of our days and the passing, in their passing glory, they make us groan and grieve and lament that, that we are fallen creatures. And it can leave us in a moment of despair. So how? How can we make the most of life in the face of this short reality that we live in? How do we not build homes on pessimism? The psalmist's solution is actually surprising. Instead of telling us to disregard the brevity of days, he actually advises us to lean in. And this is how he concludes the psalm. Teach us to number our days, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Make us glad for as many, satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May, may the favor of the Lord our God rest on us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Now there's two ways that we could read the psalmist's conclusion here. Uh, number one, we could read this as a plea to help, a plea to God to make his life better in these troubling days. And there's a lot going for that. I'm also attracted to a different reading here. Uh, I'm attracted to it because I see wisdom and seen and shown, buttressed by heart, satisfy and glad. And those seem to be a plea that the Lord would help the psalmist change perspective, that he could enjoy his limited days as imperfect as they are. The, the compassion of the Lord here seems to be a plea to teach him to see his limited days differently and see God's hand in them. Now it's tempting during a New Year's Eve sermon to take this passage, take at least the verse that says number our days and, and encourage us to press on, to seize the day, to number our days, make the most of our lives, do great things. But that is not what the psalmist is saying. He is not saying, go, do great things, when he's saying, number your days. He's saying, go and see the one who does great things. Go see the one who does great things. He is a caring God who brings not just gladness and satisfaction, but did you notice? He brings song that level of joy. We are not just his servants in the psalmist's eyes. We are his children. We are his children. He draws us near him and he enables us to see him. 
Although time marches more quickly than we can contain, we can still enjoy it by seeing the one who loves, provides, and cares for us. We can overcome the despair of our short time by knowing the limit of our days and the loving God who fills them. We can overcome that despair by knowing the limit of our days and the loving God who fills them. Yesterday morning, I had the opportunity to meet with perhaps the oldest member of our congregation at 95. Uh, Belle is sharp as a wit, and she's an absolute delight to be around. She, she's uh, walking with a, a cane. At least the doctor told her she should be walking with a cane, but she held it up. She smiled at me with a wink in her eye and said, this is just for show. <laughs> it turns out that being 95 is kind of tough. And one of the toughest things about being 95 is that you can't do the things that you used to do anymore. And for people who have made their lives out of being useful to other people, about helping other people, doing good, or being useful around the house, that's a really tough pill to swallow. Maybe one of the toughest pills to swallow. At the same time, I I turned to Belle and I said, even still, you can still enjoy life to the most. You can still enjoy life for what it is to the most, and you can still pray. She smiled back at me and agreed. And then we took a moment together and we just prayed in thanksgiving for all that God had done. All that God had done. Now, I don't know if you're into New Year's resolutions or not. I'm not a big New Year's resolution person, but if you'll permit me, can I offer just something practical that that we could consider? Actually, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, I just want you to, I just want to ask if you'd consider... Um, as the new year comes to a close, as the clocks start to tick, um, what kind of possibility God could bring in your new year as you start to see him in new ways, in the ways that he's already involved in your life? Now, if you're in your 70s, or if you're in your 50s, or, or if you're in your 30s, that might be a lot different. Perhaps you're retired, and um, one of the ways that you can look at and see God's involvement in your life is just the, the provision that he's given you to, to do the things that maybe you wanted to do or serve in the ways that, that you weren't able to when you were working full-time. Or maybe you're at, a work, you're at a job that just feels like it's a dead-end job where it's going nowhere, where you're not really contributing to the community. You don't feel great about your work. Maybe you can see God's hand in that job in a couple of the relationships that you've been able to form there whether that job lasts forever or not. Or perhaps you're a parent, uh, a parent of a teenager, a parent of a, of a young adult, and, and you experience the worry regularly of how things are going to turn out for them and the normal worries of parenting. And maybe you can just see, see God's hand in the special moments that, that God has given you with your children over the years. Deepen into those and... Appreciate God all the more through those moments. Or if you're a kid joining us today and maybe you've experienced some change recently, a change of schools, a change of teachers, a change of, of friends, maybe, maybe you can see God's hand 
and just the stability that he's brought to your family. There are all sorts of ways in this limited, finite world and life that we are living in that God is at work bringing beauty. It's just not always easy to see them. So let me offer something practical. Let me make a practical suggestion, something really simple and easy that you can do over the next seven days as we ring in the new year. Remember those new here cards? Do I got one in your pocket? Well, whether you're new here or not, um, I'd encourage you to pull one of those yellow new here cards out. And if you're joining us from home, maybe you can find a piece of paper. There is space on the back to write. There's space on the back to write. And over the next seven days, we'll start with the new year. I would encourage you to start a list. Well, not really a list. First thing at the end of the day, write down the date. And then write one way you have seen God at work. That's it. If you want to make a list, you can. I'm trying to make it real simple. We're, we're doing baby steps here. Then the next day, do the same thing. Now, if you are stuck, that is okay. What I would encourage you to do is just to create a little bit of space. Think harder. Think a little bit deeper. Try your best to find that one thing. If, if, you're, if you're still there after an hour, okay, come back the next day. <laughs> Parents, this could be a really great thing that you could do with your kids. And kids, this is a good thing that you could remind your parents to do over the next seven days. And then at the end of the seven days, just pull that list out, whatever it looks like and whatever shape it's in, and just ask yourself a couple questions. How does, it, how does what I wrote make me feel about my days? And how does it make me feel about the one who gave me those days? How does it make me feel about the one who gave me those days? We can overcome the despair of our short time by knowing the limit of our days and by knowing the by knowing the loving by knowing the loving God who fills those days. It's tempting when the days are short and when we struggle personally to see to see uh, the when we struggle personally seeing the bad days stack up it's it's difficult but the wisdom of god teaches us to see a different story and the wisdom of god enables us to enter into that story in full and meaningful ways let's pray Father, as this new year, as this year comes to a close and we prepare to enter a new one, we we recognize that you are you experience time in a much different way. At the same time, in in your love and your care, you have walked alongside of us. You have seen us, although we experience this earth and this time before the time that we hope for with you as finite, as troubled, as difficult. We can see your hand at work. We can see your loving care. We can allow it to enter into our hearts. And we can allow it to change our lives. So Lord, you are the giver of wisdom. I pray and I ask on on behalf of your son Jesus. That you would open up our hearts. To see you in new and fresh ways. And to experience life in a better way because of it. In Jesus name. Amen.